0: Graceway sermon cast. Graceway is a Baptist church located in Lexington, Kentucky. We have a heart for God and a deep love for people. You can learn more about our church by visiting www.gracewaylex.org. Now, here's this week's message. In Psalm 23, how many of you have heard Psalm 23 before today? Right? I mean, you'd have to be living under a rock if you've never heard, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, or the Lord is my shepherd, I have all that I need. Uh, as a young kid, I learned to memorize this when I was in Sunday school. And many of you, if you grew up in church and were in Sunday school, or if you were in, went to Christian school, or uh, were in Bible study classes or something like that, you probably learned Psalm 23. Why? Because kids like cute, cuddly animals, and sheep are cute, cuddly animals, right? And that's not what God means when he says... We are sheep. He means we are prone to wander and we're cantankerous. We're hard to care for and we really have nothing to offer in return. That's really kind of what what uh, is saying about that. But a Sunday school teacher was asking their uh, her class one day. He says, "How many of you people can? How many of you kids can quote Psalm 23?" And several of the kids raised their hand and you know they were kind of like, you know, ooh me me me, like pick me. You know, they were doing like the pee pee dance and stuff, like you know, getting really excited. And so finally, the teacher po- called on one of the kids and said, "All right, go ahead and start." And this little girl stood up real proudly, about four years old. And She says, the Lord is my shepherd, I got all I want. (laughs) This was not a prosperity gospel church, okay? All right, this was a very biblical centered church. But anyway, I think even though she may have gotten it out of order a little bit, she understands this, that when the Lord is our shepherd, we have all we want. We oftentimes have, and when the Lord is our shepherd, we have more than we need, We have more than we need. Some of us, we live in that kind of prosperity gospel mindset. We would never say that we're that way, but we kind of live that way, right? We look at the Lord and say, Well, you're not shepherding me very well because I don't have everything I want. It does not say I'll have everything I want, it says I will have everything I need. I shall not want. It means I will not be in want of the things that I desperately need. And God will provide, and God is committed to providing us what we need because in our brokenness, in our sheepishness, we sometimes want what we don't need, right? Or maybe it's just me, right? It's just, it's just me. At least I'm getting something out of it, right? Because in the hand of the shepherd, the sheep has all that it will ever need. So we've been spending this summer in the book of Psalms, which I pray has been kind of a, a help to your spirit, especially in this summer, you know, a summer where we're in a pandemic and a summer where we're in an election year. And I don't know about you, but doesn't an election year just bring out the best of people in America, doesn't it, right? Um, you know, when, in, in an election year of, of social unrest, and we see many things that are just kind of brought to the forefront today that leave people kind of saying, I don't know what to do. I, I don't know how to respond. I don't know how to react. And here's what the Bible tells us. When we do not know, we be still and know that he is God, and we respond in the love and the mercy of our Savior, You see, when it seems like everything's out of control, and those dog days of the soul are kind of rearing their head, I pray that this short series has kind of helped to kind of bring just like a a sense of refreshing to your soul, because that's what the Psalms are designed to do. And it kind of reminds me of what Paul said in 2 Corinthians. He said, we are troubled on every side, now, isn't that interesting? We may think in 2020 that we're the, only, we're the only generation who understands trouble, but trouble is a part of life, right? Difficulty is a part of the human existence and the human experience. Job said, man is a few days and full of trouble, right? And that's not just men, that's women. He was talking about mankind. Man is a few days and full of trouble. Paul said, we're troubled on every side, yet we are not distressed. We are perplexed. Anybody feel perplexed today? Perplexed means confused if you don't have your thesaurus in front of you. We're perplexed, but here's the result. We are not in despair. Why can Paul say that? I'm troubled on every side, yet I'm not distressed. I'm perplexed, yet I'm not in despair. Why can he say that? How is that possible? It's possible because the sheep have a good shepherd. It's possible to be in a precarious predicament, yet still be safe in the middle of that because we are in the hand of the shepherd, Psalm 23 reminds us that the Lord is our shepherd and in the hands of the shepherd, the sheep have no real reason to fear, no real reason to despair, no real reason to get skittish. Johnny Hunt referred to Psalm 23, we talked about this a little bit last week, as everybody's psalm because it covers everyone, no matter who they are, in whatever station of life they may find themselves in and whatever season of life you may find yourself in. See, metaphorically, it's a six-verse walk through the stages of life. See, verses 1 and 2 is like childhood, right? When the time that we need constant protection and provision, we see the Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want. He'll make me lie down in green pastures, right? He's the, he's the good father and the shepherd who loves and watches over us. Now, after your childhood, you get into those lovable teenage years, right? The years of the adolescence. when That's really when we're at our sweetest, isn't it? That's the time when we're prone to wonder. That's the time when we need direction and discipline, but we will fight against it at every turn. It's when we see the good shepherd find the wanderers and bring them back to safety. Verse 5 is the middle-aged. That's me now. Hold on for a second. I need to gather. Verse 5 is the middle-aged. These are not easy years. Can I get a witness? When the kids are growing up and the bills are mounting and they have to be paid, when braces and all those things coming into play, we see that God is the protective shepherd who shields us with his unending presence. And then verse number six is our older years. As we have seen life and we have seen instances where we wondered if the shepherd was there, but every time we look back, we see the evidence that the shepherd never left us, never forsook us. He was always there, and then we begin to look forward to that day when we will live in the house of the Lord forever. See, Psalm 23 is everybody's psalm because it covers us from the womb all the way to the tomb. See, most everyone has heard the 23rd Psalm, and at some point, even if we can't quote it correctly, we can identify it when somebody begins saying the words because it's been kind of woven into the fabric of our culture and of our even in our society. See, President Abraham Lincoln used to read the 23rd Psalm when he found himself in seasons of depression, which he suffered from uh, quite a bit. If you read if you read his biographies, President George W. Bush read it publicly to calm the nation's fears after the terrorist attacks of 9-11. Countless mourners have shed their tears at a graveside of a loved one as a minister opened his Bible and began to read, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. But you see, the problem is that since this psalm is so familiar, a lot of times we run the risk of familiarity kind of breeding contempt, right? We be, not maybe if it's not contempt, we would never say as Christians that I have contempt for what the Bible says, we would ju- but we could, if we're honest, we would say I'm kind of apathetic to what it says. See, familiarity sometimes brings apathy to us. We hear this and we begin to say, yeah, 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 he's my shepherd and green pastures and still waters and dwelling forever, that's great, but what about right now? Well, we don't realize that it is taking care of us right now, too. See, because we oftentimes don't understand it either, the depth of it and the richness of it, because we're all, let's face it, we're all city slickers pretty much. We're 2020 and we're living in the modern day uh, world. <laughs> Maybe it's post-apocalyptic now, we don't know. But, you know, it's, it's just who knows what's going on, right? We're living every day in Revelation at this point, right? Um, now, don't quote, that wasn't a theological statement, that was meant to be a joke. But what I'm saying is, In this modern day life where we go to the store and we get our food and we have all the things that we need, we don't understand sometimes what the life of a shepherd speaks. So we have to study it. We have to understand the true meaning of this fantastic and rich and deep psalm. And as we come to understand it, we begin to realize, man, how good is Jesus? How good is our God? You see, last week we looked at the Lord God, our good, our great, our chief shepherd. Today, we're going to look at it from a different angle. We're going to look at it from the angle of the sheep. You see, David, when he wrote this, David, before he became king of Israel, his job as a boy, as a teenager, was to be a shepherd. So he knew something about shepherding, just like the video we watched just a second ago. He knew something about shepherding. He didn't know how to be a lawyer. He didn't, know how to be, uh, he didn't know how to be an astronaut or anything like that. He wrote about what he knew, and he knew shepherding, and he found a perfect metaphor for how God cares for us. And over, and over 200 times in Scripture, the Bible use us, uses uh, the metaphor of sheep to refer to us as his followers and refer to us as his chief of creation, that we're sheep. And so what I find interesting is that when David writes this psalm, he doesn't necessarily write it from the perspective of a shepherd, even though he is a shepherd. He writes it from the perspective of the sheep. It's like a sheep is talking to us in Psalm 23. It's not the shepherd talking to us. It's the sheep talking about how good the shepherd is. So it's like we get into this this mindset of a sheep, and we hopefully, as sheep, can understand it a lot. So you get this idea of these sheep that are grazing peacefully in green fields where they're led by their shepherd. Sheep who are secure from the threat of the enemy because their shepherd stands at their defense continually and sheep who know who they are and whose they are and who they belong to. Sheep whose lives were so precious to the shepherd that they would never be abandoned and whose lives were so great to the shepherd that he would willingly lay down his life to extend his sheep. So this morning I want to look at Three things very quickly that the shepherd provides for us as his sheep. Three things that we can never forget that the shepherd provides for us. And the first thing that the shepherd provides is he provides what I never can. The shepherd provides what I never can. Life in the sheepfold means that I am provided for. And I am not just provided for on some nice things. I am provided for in things that I never can provide on my own. You see, sheep are helpless individuals, right? They can't do much of anything on their own. That's why they need the shepherd 24-7, 365 days a week, 366 days on leap year. They need the shepherd all the time. We need him, right? The shepherd provides what I never can. The first thing that we see he provides for us that we can't provide on our own is a relationship. When it says the Lord is my shepherd, he's not just a shepherd, that the fact that the chief shepherd would choose to be my shepherd, first of all, that Yahweh, the great I am, would choose to condescend to be a shepherd to us is the greatest miracle of the gospel, right? That God, perfect and holy and infinite in his majesty, would choose to look down at us who every time on our own we wander away, we turn our backs, we reject, we break his law, we're natural born rebels, that he would say, I'm gonna be your shepherd and I'm not just gonna be a shepherd to guide you, I'm gonna lay my life down for you to redeem your existence. The Lord is my shepherd. He provides for me what I never can in relationship. You see, the sheep in nature really has no one but the shepherd. You'll see zoologists will say that in nature, there are some animals and some species that kind of have natural uh, allies out there in the field. So you'll see that some species, even though they're not the same, they'll kind of ally together and protect, them, and protect one another from, uh, from danger and from harm of the predators. But the sheep, they're all by themselves. It doesn't matter who they are, they'll, they'll abandon the sheep except for the shepherd. The shepherd is the only hope and the only defense that they have. They're truly alone if it's not for the shepherd. You see, Psalm 23 is an extremely personal psalm because 17 times in six verses, we see the personal pronouns of I, me, and my. That We see that God is a close, intimate lover of our souls. He knows us and he cares about us. And here's the miracle of the gospel and the treasure of God's grace is that he is other than us. He is high, he is holy, he is mighty. He is so much greater. He's so much greater than us, yet he is makes himself available to be ours, to be our possession. He's far away, yet he calls us friend. He is majestic, yet he is mine. Shepherding was considered to be the lowest of all work that you could find. Nobody, there were no kids sitting around, you know, the table, the lunch table at school talking about what they wanted to be when they grew up back in the days of the Bible said, man, I want to be a shepherd. But I look at them like, what are you, crazy? I mean, that's like the lowest underachiever you can possibly find uh, in the yearbook. Because a shepherd demanded so much work and it had very little to offer and very little to give. There wasn't much like, upward mobility within the ranks of being the shepherd. Now, doesn't that make you glad that the Lord, the sovereign great I am, Yahweh, stooped to be our saving shepherd? That the King of kings and the Lord of lords said, I'll take the lowest rung job for my creation." that he humbled himself. What Jesus, what the Bible says about Jesus, he humbled himself and he came to us because he wanted to offer us something that we could not provide on our own and that was a relationship with God. But he also provides something for us that we can't provide on our own and that's contentment. Raise your hand if you've realized that. I can never find contentment on my own. Doesn't matter what you get. Doesn't matter how big it is that you got it, you're something gonna be bigger. Doesn't matter how much you have, there's always gonna be more to get. And if you're basing contentment on the things that you can amass and the things that you can collect, you'll never be content. But Jesus offers us pure contentment in him. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. The second part of that verse is, I shall not want. Or as the CSB says, I have what I need. I have what I need. True contentment comes from a security in the relationship and in the proximity to the shepherd. For the sheep, they weren't thinking about their portfolio. They weren't thinking about their, uh, their 401k and their, and their retirement plan. They weren't thinking about any of that. They were thinking about where's my next meal and will I be safe? That's what they were thinking of and they found their contentment in the work of the shepherd. So you could really read this verse this way. If the Lord is my shepherd, then I shall not want. If then I find myself in want, then I have wandered or I've rejected from the Lord as my shepherd. You see, the sheep was always content so long as he was with the shepherd. The minute he wandered, the contentment went away because all of a sudden I'm hungry. All of a sudden I'm in danger and now I don't have contentment. The best definition for contentment I've ever heard is this. Contentment is not having everything you always wanted. Contrary to our American belief, contentment is not having everything that I've always wanted. Contentment is wanting everything you already have. Are you satisfied with what God has provided? And in Jesus the shepherd, we have more than enough, more than we could ever imagine, and what we have in our shepherd is greater than what we don't have in this life. Catch that. What we have in our shepherd is so far greater than what we don't have in this life. The next thing he provides for us is rest. He provides something that I can't provide for myself is rest. Does anyone else have trouble resting? I woke up like at 3 o'clock this morning, and I guess it's because I'm hitting that middle age section. I can't go back to sleep as easy as I used to. Is that just me, or is that like a thing that happens? It happens, right? Okay. I just had trouble going back to sleep until right before the alarm clock was supposed to go off. It's like the cruelest joke of, of, of existence, isn't it? right? But rest is something that we cannot provide and find on our own, so the Lord provides it for us. It says, he makes me to lie down in green pastures. He lets me lie down in green pastures. What we see here about sheep is sheep are very restless creatures. They're like very fidgety. They're anxious all the time, and they they will not find rest on their own. The shepherd literally, with some sheep, literally would have to go and fold their legs so they would take rest Otherwise, they would just end up collapsing because they would just continually just move around. Anybody feel like that's your life? Sometimes you're just going, 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 and the only time you're going to take rest is when your body just says, "Uh uh-uh, we ain't going any further. Some people thrive on busyness. I'm just so busy. But you know who else thrives on busyness? Our enemy. If he can keep us busy, he can keep us distracted from the voice of God, from the voice of the shepherd. So the sheep is a very restless creature. And, and the other thing about sheep is they have very delicate digestive systems. You say, why does that matter to me? Why does that, what does that have anything to do with me? They need a peaceful place to lay down after they've eaten. So when he says he leads me beside, or he makes me to lie down in green pastures, that lying down means I have to sit down and let that nourishment settle in me. This is why the Bible tells us to be still and know that he is God. This is why we're told to feast upon the word of God. But as sheep, we need to also not just take it in for information, we need to digest it for transformation. As a sheep, he hasn't just given us this word so we can know what the word says. He's given it to us so that we can know what the word says about us and can change us from the inside out. Instead, he leads me beside these still and quiet waters. So after eating, the sheep get thirsty. And so the shepherd has to move them on to quiet waters. They have to find water, which creates a whole other issue for the shepherd. You see, because uh, sheep can't just walk up to a stream and begin to drink out of it because it's a moving stream. They're so skittish, they'll run away. They can't drink from moving water. They'll drown themselves in it. So a lot of times a shepherd that was on the move, a nomadic shepherd, would have to come to a stream and make a makeshift dam for the sheep to drink out of. So he's out there in the middle of the water and he's, he's making this dam to make this like a quiet pool that the, that the sheep can drink out of. You want to know why he has to do that? Because they're passing by all kinds of stagnant pools and ponds, but they're all polluted. It's because the shepherd was the only one who knew the source of water that was good for the sheep. How many stagnant pools do we find ourselves drinking from and poisoning our spirit and poisoning our hearts toward God? See, God wants to lead us to a place of stillness. God wants to lead us to a place of peace. God wants to lead us to a place of reflection on the shepherd. See, and I look at this and I think about, man, how much am I like a sheep? How much do I just run, 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 run and never stop to think about the shepherd, never stop to just rest in the hands and in the arms of the shepherd? How much do I go looking for something that will satisfy the thirst that other than what the thirst of the living water will, be sat- will satisfy? So what I think is interesting is that during this pandemic, we've all been forced to slow down. Remember when we was all shelter in place and stay home and don't go anywhere and all that? What was the byproduct of that? I think a lot of the things, the, 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 the stress and the turmoil that we're seeing is the byproduct of people who don't like to slow down, being forced to slow down, and because when we do that, we take inventory of what's going on around us. And we haven't reacted well. We haven't reacted well. Here's what the Bible tells us, he says to be still. That's for our good. And in the stillness, what we're supposed to do, according to Psalm 46, is to know that he is God. Be still, my sheep. Know that I am the shepherd. Hear the voice of the shepherd. Don't pay attention to the rushing waters. Don't pay attention to the howls of the wolves. Hear the voice of the shepherd because that's the closest source to you. Why is he the closest source to us? Not because of us, because of him. He never leaves us and he never forsakes us. He also provides us with restoration. I can't restore myself. You can't restore yourself. It says he renews my life or he restores my soul. It says the result when we come to the shepherd and we follow the shepherd's lead is that we will be restored and that we will be renewed. Because sheep are careless, they're curious, they're catankerous, they often need to be restored. Because sheep are prone to wander, they oftentimes need to be brought back. They often get lost and they need to be brought back into the fold. Sometimes a sheep, as they were wandering or as they were out there, they would tip over. Now, now, I'm not going to try to model this for you because it would make me look like a complete fool, okay? But in shepherding, there's this term that shepherds would use called being cast, being cast down a sheep that is cast. This is what would happen to a sheep. Sheep have very top-heavy bodies, especially the more wool that they get growing on them, which never stops growing, by the way. So if it's not sheared off, they'll just continue to grow into this giant fuzzball of ticks and all that type of stuff. It's a real wonderful picture of these cute little lambs that we see around here, right? I'm not being, I'm just, I'm, I'm feeling, I'm feeling sassy today. Does anybody else notice that? Just sassy. I've got my sassy pants on today. I don't know what it is. People on the live stream just tuned out, so, sorry. Like, well, yeah, I can't hang with this anymore. Poor people stuck in here, they can't get out, right? Anyway, <laughs> the doors are locked, right? No, I'm just teasing. They're not locked. I digress. So, sassy pants. Let me go back. Where was I? Oh, yeah, the sheep. Yeah. So the sheep are, what would happen is because they're so top-heavy and their legs are so small, especially if they were on, uh, in the fields over in the Middle East that were so like hills and valleys and crevices, they could fall and they would tip over and if they're laying on their backs, a sheep cannot right itself. Once a sheep is capsized or once a sheep is cast, it can't get up. So if you imagine the sheep just laying on back, just their legs are flailing everywhere and circulation is cutting off in their legs and remember the delicate digestive systems right so if they've just eaten gas is beginning to build up and they're beginning to bloat and so we laugh at that but it's very dangerous a sheep could die of suffocation or toxicity within a matter of hours so when a sheep when a shepherd would begin to count a sheep and notice that one is not there the immediate thought of the shepherd is one of my sheep has fallen over and is cast and I've got to go find them and he knows that time is of the essence because he knows that the sake of the sheep is in danger And so he would go and he would run and try to find them. And when he found them, he couldn't just tip them back up and, you know, pat them on the bottom and say, all right, let's go, boy. No, you can't do that because the circulation has been cut off for so long. Their legs are numb and shaky and they can't walk on their own. So that's why we see that sometimes that painting of Jesus in the 99, leaving the 99 and going and getting the one and he's got the sheep around his neck like this, carrying him, Because after being cast for so long, he needs extra care and attention before he can be rightly set back down. You ever felt like that cast sheet before? See, he's provided restoration to us that we cannot provide on our own. In our sin, we are so prone to become cast in that and we begin flailing around trying to find ways to restore the joy and the peace that we've lost but we can't until the shepherd is near. And the last thing that he provides that I can't provide for myself is guidance. He says he leads me along the right path for his namesake. In many cases, the path that the shepherd would walk would be through narrow valleys and, you know, tight places, and a sheep could eventually, could easily slip with his hooves. And if there was any animal that really wasn't built for the area that they were in over there in the Bible, it was a sheep. And he could wander, and he could get lost very easily, and it could lead to disaster. So the shepherd was always leading from the front. Why was the shepherd leading from the front? because he would go before to see that the path would be easy for the sheep to navigate, he would also go ahead of them to see if there were any dangers ahead that needed to be dealt with. He didn't go behind, driving them forward. He would wander, he would go ahead of them. And I'm thankful that I have a Savior, that I have a God who goes before me. That no matter what path he has us on, he knows the path better than we do. This is why I can have the faith to take the next step because my Savior's already walked it. My Savior's already walked it and he's already there. God's always going before us, scouting out for our good and for his glory. The sheep also calms my sheepishness. That's number two. The sheep will calm my sheepishness. We change scenery in verse number four and we go from these fields and we go into the dark valley. So he calms my sheepishness, he calms my anxieties by giving me peace. We see that in verse number four. Even when I go through the darkest valley, I will fear how much danger? I will fear no danger. The Hebrew word that's used to describe this valley is used 20 times in the Old Testament. And it always describes the darkest, most hopeless situation. When I go through the darkest valley, or the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because he is with me. See, he gives me peace because he has provided his presence. I've said this so many times. When you're in the valley, the goal of the shepherd is not to deliver you immediately. The goal of the shepherd is to be with you in his, with his presence through it. And that's what Jesus does for us. When we're in the valley, when we're down, and when the world seems to be pressing in on us and we want immediate relief and we want immediate deliverance, Jesus is saying, trust me, have patience with me, and I will deliver you when the time is right. But until then, I'm gonna give you something that you can never conjure on your own. I'm giving you me. It's a blessing that we don't value near enough. He's always present. He says, for you are with me. See, the antidote to anxiety is the proximity to the shepherd. I love what uh, Psalm 16 verse 8 says. I always let the Lord guide me because he's at my right hand. I won't be shaken. I always let the Lord guide me, and when I do that, I won't be shaken. I love what Pastor Matt Chandler says. "Is The promise that we get in Psalm 23 is not a promise of a life without pain. It's that in our pain, regardless of what pain that is, he's there with us. Many of you know this, that the dearest friends are not the ones who are only with you during the good times. The dearest friends are the ones, are not the ones who know how to fix all your problems. The dearest friends are the ones who sit there and they suffer alongside of you. And that's the friend that we have in Jesus. He's always present because he's present. His rod and his staff comfort us. The rod was something that was used for protection and defense while the staff was this curled hook that was used to rescue the sheep when they would fall down into the craggy rocks over in the over in the Middle Eastern fields. When they would fall down on craggy rocks, they would grab them by their leg or by their neck and bring them out of that danger. Not only does God protect us, but he rescues us when we get ourselves into trouble. The rod was for confrontation. The staff was for care. The rod was for protection, but the staff communicated his presence. See, the rod is tough, but the staff is tender. And I'm thankful that my shepherd is wise enough and knows me well enough to know when I need the rod and to know when I need the staff. So he also also is there calming my sheepishness by preparing my way. He says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies in verse number five. Remember when you were a kid, and I know if you're like me, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm 40, I'm dealing with it, all right? Therapy is costing a lot more than it used to. But, you know, remember when you were a kid and your parents would put something on the table that you didn't necessarily like too much? What'd you do? Now, if you're in my house, you just say, hey, I want something else. And for some reason we do it. I don't know why. But when I was a kid, if mom cooked something that I didn't like, she'd say, well, tough. You'll get hungry enough to eat it, right? <laughs> right? That's what good child abusers do these days. You know? They say, you, you get hungry enough, you'll eat it. And so one day there was this kid, he was sitting there, or, or you do this, or you try to feed it to the dog, right? You, you try to, you, when nobody's looking, you try to feed it to the dog, or you, here's what normally we'll do we'll just push it around the plate and hope to endure the pain and the agony, right? Until dinner's finally over with. Well, one day there was this little boy, and he was sitting there, um, and it was right after church, you know, after the, after the lesson on the shepherd and uh, mom and dad were sitting there, and he said, yeah, I don't really like this very much, and dad finally said, listen son, you're not leaving this table until you finish your plate. It wasn't even, you get hungry enough, you'll eat it. You're not leaving the table. No video games, no iPad, no nothing. No riding your bike, no nothing until you finish this meal. And so that began the long standoff, right, between dad. And so dad also at this time realized he couldn't leave the table because he had to sit there and stare his son down, right? So the kid sits there for an hour and a half just looking at it. He's pushing his peas around. He's like, I'm not eating it. And so finally, dad looks at his kid and says, look, I mean business. We're not getting you pizza rolls. You're not getting them today. You're finishing this or you will live at this table for the rest of your life. And so finally he got the bluffing on his kid and his kid said, okay, he picks up his fork and he gets ready to eat it and dad says, you know what, I think if you've gone so long without eating this, I think you need to bless this again so let's pray over this meal again. And so the son bowed his head and he says, dad, I'd like to pray and he says, fine. He says, Lord, please bless this food that I'm about to eat in the presence of my enemies. (laughs) He provides for us, (laughs) he prepares a table for us. And sometimes he doesn't, and sometimes we may not even like the table that he's prepared, but it's the table that he knows that we need. Because the shepherd goes before us, here's what he does. He goes out and he's always scouting out a safe and luscious place for his sheep to eat. But he doesn't just find a field and say, okay guys, go eat. He has to walk through that field and make sure... There are no snakes. There are no predators. There are no poisonous plants that the sheep may eat that would harm them. The shepherd's work is never done. This is what it means. He is preparing a tableland, a pasture for me. This is what God has done through his word. He's provided us a healthy diet that is clear of poisonous untruth and dishonesty and lies. He's laid out the table for me. He's prepared my way. I love that song by Chris Tomlin, I know who goes before me. I know who stands behind. The God of angel armies is always by my side. He's the one who reigns forever. He's a friend of mine. The God of angel armies is always by my side. And then lastly this morning as we begin to close out today, the shepherd also preserves my frail life. The shepherd Knows that the sheep have no hope without him. He knows that the sheep are in trouble if it are not if it is not for him. So he preserves their life. And the first way he does that, we see this passage here in verse number five says, "You anoint my head with oil." What in the world is that talking about? Well, a shepherd knows exactly what that's talking about. A shepherd would have to anoint the head of sheep for a lot of different reasons. You see, out in the field, sheep were bug magnets. Man, all that wool. Just just attracted them, you know, attracted bugs. And here's the thing, and this is kind of gross, especially before we go to lunch. Bugs and ticks would try to feed off the sheep, and flies would get up in their nostrils and deposit their eggs. (laughs) Yeah, I can see on your faces, some of you, you're like, ew, this is gross. And so as the eggs would begin to hatch, and the larva would begin to come out, he's like, yeah, he said larva. The larva would not go out its nose, it would climb up in its nose and start to crawl around in its sinus passages and up into its brain, and it would cause the sheep to completely go mad. Because his nose and his sidespots were always itching, so what the sheep do? They'd head off running to a tree and start like bashing his head in a tree to try to relieve the itch, and would end up killing himself. So, what the shepherd would do is put oil right there on his nostrils that would cause the in- it would be insect repellent to cause the bugs not to come around. So he prevented them. He prevented problems. Then they would also have around mating season when there was two when there were two like uh, sheep that wanted to uh, spend time with one of the sh- the ewes which is a female sheep, by the way. See, we are city slickers. we got to go over all this information, right? They would want to like, bash each other in the head and fight over this. So the, the sheep only know to hurt their heads. I don't know what it is about sheep, but the, all they want to do is mess their heads up. So, the, so to keep them from hurting themselves, and they would take, the shepherd would take and put oil all over the head so that, when, so that when the sheep would bash each other in the head, they would just kind of slide off of each other to keep them from beating each other senseless. And then also he carried a medicinal oil that would heal them from all the abrasions and things they would get on the rocks as they slipped and fell through the quagmire of the Middle Eastern landscape. This is what it means that you anoint my head with oil. This is what God has done for us and what he does for us. He, previ- he pours that preventative oil of gladness, that oil that we need of healing, he also provides us with help for today. He says, my cup overflows and surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Now it says he's not only leading in front of us but now we see goodness and mercy are coming in behind us so now we are now surrounded by the shepherd. This is the good shepherd. He goes before us for our protection and our defense and he, com- he brings up the rear with goodness and faithful love and mercy that never ends and never dies. Spurgeon referred to his goodness and mercy as two guardian angels that are always at his back and at his beck. Ironside said two sheepdogs that keep sheep where they belong in the shepherd's fold were his goodness and his mercy. You see, not only is there going to be goodness and mercy that's followed us, it's there every morning when we get up, it's there when you turn around, it's there again when you are looking around and you see nothing else, but his goodness and his mercy are always there. Trust the shepherd. Trust the shepherd. And he also provides hope for tomorrow. He says, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The greatest promise and the greatest peace to the shepherd is that he knew, or to the sheep, is that he knows who he belongs to, that he's with the shepherd. And that's the peace that we're supposed to have, that peace that passes all understanding. And that's the question that we close with this morning Do you have the peace of knowing the shepherd? Do you know the shepherd? Is he your personal Lord and Savior? Is he your shepherd? See, the Lord is already the chief shepherd. But whether he'll be your shepherd or not depends on whether you enter his fold. That's when he said, come to me all that are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. It's the shepherd calling out to the sheep, come to me. Come to me. So as we bow our head and as we close our eyes this morning and we go to a time of reflection and a time of invitation, There's three personal lessons that we have to get from this. And the first lesson is, if the Lord is such a great shepherd, I need to be in his flock. I need to be in the flock. Who wouldn't want this kind of love? Who wouldn't want this kind of care and protection and defense and nurturing? So if this is you this morning, and you're thinking, man, I need this kind of care, join the flock today. The other lesson that we get is to stay close to the shepherd. Why would I want to wander? from such care and provision. If you've been wandering, or if you've been, been out there looking somewhere else, or if you've been drinking from poisoned pools, come to the shepherd today, draw close to him. Maybe you need to rededicate your life, or just say, hey man, I need to just kinda just come back to you, Lord. And then the third lesson we learn is just to follow wherever he leads. The shepherd can be trusted. The shepherd's job was the safety of his sheep. Jesus Christ, the shepherd's job, is the safety and the protection and the provision of his sheep for the glory of God the Father. So well, right now I don't think he's leading me in much safety. I don't feel very protected. Have you noticed what's going on around us, Pastor? Yeah, I noticed that. But the goodness of the shepherd is never dictated by the, by the dire circumstances that are around us. The goodness of the shepherd is dictated by the action of the shepherd. He'll never fail us. Everything else may, but He won't. We can trust Him in that. All we have to do is answer the call that Christ gave to the disciples. Follow me. Will you follow Him today? Heavenly Father, I pray this morning that in this time you've been glorified. In my frail humanity, I've tried my best to rightly divide this Passage that is so deep, so true, so rich, so that we would just be amazed at who you are and whose we are. I pray this morning that you would work in this time of of invitation and of response today. If there's someone here that needs you, if there's a lost sheep that is wandering, I pray, Lord, that they would come to you today. I pray if there's a sheep that is part of your fold that has wandered away. We know that you have the heart to leave the 99 to come to the 1. I pray, Lord, that we would be anxious to be drawn near to the Shepherd again, And that we would be a church that would follow you as you lead. And that we would only know your voice and hear your voice and follow your voice and your call. I pray this morning that you will do as you see fit in this invitation. In Jesus' name, amen. Until next time, take care and walk in the way of grace.